I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heves, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Welcome back, guys. We have a great episode for you here tonight. We have Heather Marlap from DeerAge.com. So, DeerAge.com is a website owned by uh, the company Wildlife Analytical Labs. DeerAge.com. They are owned by Heather and Chad, and they study the aging of whitetails and other big mammals by their teeth. So, we have everything to cover about aging whitetails, what that means for your management, um, you know, different ways to age deer, what is deer aging. We talk about eruption wear aging versus cementum aging, uh, how verifying the age of your harvest helps determine if you're, you know, doing your habitat correctly, taking mature animals, if you're doing good for your area. And we talk about the deer age kit that they offer. Uh, I have one right here that I'm sending in my Illinois buck teeth from. We talk about what's inside and, and the percentages and accuracy rates of this aging system versus others. So super interesting. Heather, uh, Heather's awesome to talk to. Um, we actually chatted it up for quite a while after we hung up the phone. Super nice gal. They're out of Missoula, Montana. And, guys, it's just a, it's an awesome episode. I'm very interested to learn about this myself and do more of this aging. I know we have some – I have some friends of mine who do it all the time. I know Jason Lewis, he ages all the time, and um, there's some others as well. But it's kind of my first forte into it. thought it would be an awesome – an awesome conversation, and thanks to uh, our friend Todd Shippey. I uh, got this uh, referral from you, my friend, so thank you for that awesome conversation. Um, so, again, we have Heather from DeerAge.com with you guys here in just a second. I want to talk about the awesome reviews we've been getting on Apple iTunes, uh, Google, um, Spotify. If you go to our Facebook group, Habitat Chat, there's a post on there for reviews where you can find all the links on where to give us a review. 
Or you can just go scroll down to the link in the show notes below you. If you're listening to this episode right now, just scroll down on your phone or your computer, and you can leave us a good review there. And I will send you a free brand-new Habitat Podcast decal, a five-inch circular decal. been getting some awesome reviews. You guys help us, you know, fight through the hundreds of podcasts, thousands of podcasts out there, and remain at the top. So thank you very much, and uh, – we love hearing the feedback, you know, we're, we like hearing and seeing pictures on Facebook and Instagram of what you guys are working on. We're getting a lot more of those lately now that people are really getting into the projects. This is awesome. Uh, so keep sending those in, keep, you know, leaving us some feedback. Um, and we really just appreciate any time you can like and share our stuff. You know, they're really, the only way to get this out there to like-minded people is really word of mouth or social media. Um, those are the best ways, guys. So if you can just, you know, take it upon yourself and, and help us out, you know, every now and then to tag a buddy or a new friend who hasn't heard about the podcast to one of our episodes, really goes a long way. So just thank you for the support. We really do uh, enjoy seeing your feedback, seeing the new people coming out and listening, and um, I'm very appreciative. So now I want to talk about the website. We have a couple new articles up at the Habitat Journal. I'm posting a new one this week from the National Wildlife Cooperative. Now, you heard um, from Hunter back when, when we interviewed him. Some great write-ups going up on the Habitat Journal at HabitatPodcast.com. So be sure to check that out, guys. And, uh, you know, like like I said, give us a share uh, if you don't mind when you're checking that out. Now, I want to thank uh, Chad Thalen over at Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Not only does Chad you know, buy and sell properties for his customers, you know, recreational properties, hunting properties, etc. Um, if you have a spot to sell right now, you're looking to sell, now is a great time. Uh, but also, he helps out with the USDA and, and the wildlife programs that are funded by that. My buddy Brian, um, a farm that I work on with Brian a little bit and that he bought and, and manages himself pretty intensely nearby here. We do a little hunting out there. He has a nice project going this summer with some wetlands um, with the USDA, and Chad actually is their contracted sprayer. So Chad's going to come down and and spray and take care of that stuff on Brian's property um, so it can all be done correctly the right way. And it just goes to show the knowledge behind Chad and and his company, and he's been in this, this realm of habitat work for years, so... You know, guys, if you ever have any questions either about your property, any programs you can get into, we interviewed Chad way back about government programs, state programs, federal programs. The guy's just a huge knowledge base. So feel free to, you know, give Chad a ring. Chad Thalen, um, Realtor United Country, Land Pro, Lake States Realty on Auction. You'll find his website link right on our website. You'll find him on Facebook. Check him out and, uh, you know, tell him, tell him we sent you over there. And if you do want to ch- talk about listing your property, guys, Now's a great time. Um, it's been crossing my mind a couple of times. You know, I'm just – now's a, a tough time to buy, too, unless you can be the first one who knows the guy who's getting the listings. Again, Chad might be able to help you there. So check it out. Thank you very much. We also want to thank Packer Max, Cult of Packers, Hunt Wise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, The Habitat Hook, and Morse Nursery. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get to it with Heather at DeerAge.com. Okay, guys, we're back. We have 
my trusty co-host, Mr. Brian Hallbly, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Brian? Doing well. I'm I'm close to Pittsburgh. Don't lump me in with with that whole big city over there. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, I guess I can say the same for Detroit. So I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. And then uh, our special guest tonight, we have Heather Marlat. She is out of Missoula, Montana, and uh, can't wait to talk to her. How you doing, Heather? I am doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for hopping on. You are actually going to be 100 and let's see, 130 episodes in about our second female guest. Oh my gosh, yay, do I get a badge or something? <laughs> yes, yes, I I don't have a badge, but I'll have one made for you. I think that's... Gold star. Yes, so then I'll have to send one to Elsa too, our other gal that we talked to from um, the BM Butterfly Habitat Fund, so we'll be sure to send her one too. Um, but thanks for, thanks for hopping on. How's the weather out in Missoula these days? You know, it's crazy. Um, about two days ago, it was 86 degrees. It was super hot. We were like, should we turn on the air conditioning? I don't know. And it's supposed to snow tonight. It's been cold and rainy, and now we're going to have snow. So I don't really know what's going on. Um, we just kind of look outside and decide what to wear in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's – and I miss it out there. I don't know if anybody knows. I know you know because I just told you, but my wife went to grad school out there in Missoula, and I tell you what, the fishing, the the whitetails that were just walking around the, the city, I mean yeah. – um, I could make. I think I could make a make a trip out there. And maybe never come back. I don't know. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it really is. We have a lot of uh, whitetails that are sort of friends. You know, they're they're in the yard pretty much daily, so we kind of know them. They know us. It's it's an interesting interesting place to live. <laughs> well, I wonder if that might be able to end, um, Brian. Your out of state streak that you've been complaining about. Your out of state hunting streak. Maybe Missoula would be the place to go. Yeah, yeah, might have to uh, try that out. It, it worked out in um, Big Timber where I shot that antelope. There you go. Thanks. Well, Heather, thanks for hopping on. Let's start this out how we normally do. Want to you know want us to paint a picture about who Heather is, where you're from, how'd you get into the field you're in, um, maybe how you grew up, and were you in the outdoors type thing. Just just tell us a little story and, and get us going there if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I grew up in Spokane, Washington, in the city. Um, I was not very outdoorsy at all, and um, if anything, I was a little bit of a, a princessy type. Um, and how I kind of got into what I'm doing is through school. So I I went to college to get my degree in microbiology. Um, I was really interested in um, just disease and things like that. And so I got my bachelor's of science degree in microbiology at Washington State University. And then from there, um, I was really debating on whether or not to go to graduate school. But with the cost of graduate school and having small kids, I decided that it wasn't for me. And I got a job working at the Washington State Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory, which is a mouthful. So we called it Waddle. <laughs> but um, what we did was um, we cut up animal tissues and put them on slides for pathological analysis. So uh, during that time, I learned all about animal pathology um, through the field of histology, which is the study of tissue. And I learned about how to 
handle all different types of tissue. We actually did work on CWD. Um, and I really got into it, and I liked it a lot. Actually, I fell in love with the field. I like how gross it is. I like cutting up dead things. I don't know why. Um, but I'm really into it. And so um, I did not like where I worked. Um, the environment was pretty toxic. And there was researchers there that were being what I would call kind of poorly treated. And so I just started researching, starting my own laboratory. And I was a single mom, and I saved up money and started my own laboratory. I, I took their largest research client away from them. And, yeah, I started it in my tiny little two-bedroom apartment, which was a little bit probably not legal and also um, interesting. Um, but, you know, I've slowly grown, um, you know, from the one original client, and I started a company called Nationwide Histology, and we uh, perform animal pathology. Um, I've been doing it 11 years now, and I do still own the company. And the way I got into deer aging is that the founders of deer age were looking for a laboratory to send their samples to. So they were starting to grow and they were actually not histologists or scientists when they started the company. So they came to me and asked me if we would be interested in doing their tissues for them. And so we got a hold of some of their tissues rewrote all their protocols to be more efficient and come out with nicer slides with better results. And then we did that for several years for them. And then at the end of 2017, they decided to um, retire and asked me if I wanted to buy the company. And because it was my favorite research project, I decided to go ahead and do it. And um, my husband, my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, is a big hunter. He, so he's uh, a bow hunter, and um, he's, you know, been in Montana for 20 years just hunting everything he can shoot at. And so he was super excited about it and was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. And so that's how I got into uh, the deer age thing. And ever since then, it's really just kind of become my baby, even though I still do own the other company. Um, deer age is just really you know, allowed me to blossom as a scientist and give me a lot more latitude with doing our own research. And I just like working with the public sector and, um, you know, just hearing people get excited about it and kind of revving people up. It just, um, it just really brings me a lot of joy and it makes me want to do better, you know, do it more, you know, improve all the time. It's really exciting. The other yeah. laboratory is great. But um, it's definitely a lot more boring. You know, we're dealing with a lot of um, just pharmaceutical companies. Um, it's pretty straightforward and a little bit, um, I guess, more mundane. They're not quite as excited as our Deer Age customers. So um, I definitely like uh, Deer Age a lot. And that's kind of the history of how I got into doing this and um, where I came from. And um, I'm still not a hunter, and I don't intend to be, and um, my customers – will definitely appreciate that because when they are killing things, I am here ready to take their stuff for them and make sure they get it back very quickly. Um, so it works good. That's awesome. I'm just, I'm smiling over here listening to your story. Um, true entrepreneur, you know, literally like out of the apartment, getting it done. I mean, I, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's come a long way. Um, 
you know, things, things have really evolved. We have four employees now, um, you know, from before, and then I have employees for the other company as well. So, sure. um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's been an evolution. And now, um, I, you know, I, I regretted buying Deer Age for about the first three months and I cried pretty much every single day and was like, what have I done? <laughs> this is so hard because, you know, um, the transition didn't really go that well. Um, and now to see where it's at, I'm like, I'm so glad we stuck it through and I'm so glad to see how it's evolving and where it's going in the future. And I just can't wait for all the projects that we have planned and, and to just really see it become a more integral part of people's management. That is awesome. And and you said uh, it was a little rocky in the transition. I think that happens sometimes, you know, when companies are sold and under new ownership. Uh, you know, not everything is such a smooth transition all the time. So, yeah, yeah. Give, give things a little time and, and, you know, hopefully people can get their feet under them and, and get going. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, some customers, like, maybe dropped off the map at that time. It was very – it was a very challenging transition. Um and, you know, I'm glad we survived it, and a lot of people have stuck through with that. And then, you know, we've made a couple of changes along the way uh, because one of the biggest things for me was that um, they didn't have any kind of central database. So all of the really valuable information that we're getting is just not there. It's, not, it's lost, you know. And as the scientist in me was like, we have to change that as soon as possible. And the first thing to do that is just go to online ordering so that there's, you know, trackability for all that information. Sure. Sure. Well, very cool. Very cool. And you said you had a couple kids too? I do. I have two boys. Um, One is 13 and one is 15, soon to be 16. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. And they're good kids. Outstanding. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have very many teenager problems or anything like that. They're really good. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky. Lucky me. Yeah, I've I've had the same experience with my daughters too. So it's it's very lucky and um, very blessed when you can find yourself in a situation like that for sure. Yeah. But I'll take a little bit of credit. I'm sure you should too, because they don't just happen to be that way on their own. So. No, it definitely starts when they're little, in my opinion. <laughs> yep, I agree. No doubt. No uh-huh. doubt. So, Heather, what exactly is deer aging? If some of our listeners might not be familiar with it, kind of boil it down to the, the very basics of, of what your definition of it is. So just deer aging in general or specifically what we do? Yeah, just deer aging, you know, the whys and the, and the hows of it. Sure. So, I mean, deer aging in general is just exactly what it sounds like. It's just placing an age onto your harvest, you know, and there are various ways to do that. And there's, um, I think, different reasons for different people as to why people want to know the age of their game. Um, So, you know, you've got a lot of ranches and things like that that are doing a lot of management. Um, and that's um, really important to them to make sure that they're, um, you know, keeping their populations healthy, but also you know, getting the best um, game for, for their land. And so they want to know the ages to make sure that they're, um, you know, properly managing it. Um, then you've got a lot of just really avid hunters that are out, um, you know, constantly tracking the same animals and they're, and they're um, following the same ones and collecting sheds and really kind of getting to know their game. 
And so for them, it's like a completion of the story. Um, and, you know, we really give them an um, opportunity to, you know, outline that story through social media. Um, and then there's there's other reasons why people want to know the age of their game. Um, you know, nostalgia is a big one, too. If you've got young kids that you're trying to get into hunting, you know, and you're revving them up, too, and getting the excitement, um, that's, that's a big reason. And then, you know, obviously there's the um, – Fish, wildlife, and parks that obviously want to do a lot of population control and, and management and uh, kind of see where they're at. And so they're obviously wanting to age the game as well. So there's a variety of reasons why people want to know the age of their game. Um, and, you know, we don't just age deer. We really age any type of game animal. Um, so and, and the reasons for that all just kind of vary. Sure. Now, what are the different ways to age the deer? Do you have any particular way that you have people submit samples or just one particular way? Um, so there's, I guess that's kind of two questions, really. So there's so there's two ways, there's a couple different ways to um, age game. So you can age, okay, so let me, let me rephrase that. So there's ways to estimate age, and then there's ways to confirm the age. So um, a lot of people um, for years and years and years have used um, molar wear aging. And um, molar wear aging can be a really useful tool, particularly when you're aging younger game animals. Um, but it definitely has its problems, and it's definitely not very accurate. And then a lot of people age off of the hoof as well. So they'll look at body characteristics, um, you know, whether the animal has, you know, uh, you know, kind of sagging back and things like that. So they'll, they'll look at a bunch of different body characteristics to determine the age. But, but both of those methods are really just an estimation. And estimations of aging on the hoof have really evolved from molar wear aging, which is the most common method for aging game. You know, it's, it's fast. It's affordable. You just have to look in the mouth. But it has its limitations. So when you're aging um, a white-tailed deer, for example, that's under two and a half years old, it's very, very easy to determine exactly how old that animal is. But like most hunters, you're not exactly targeting two-and-a-half-year-old deer. So you're, you're wanting a mature deer. So once the deer is past two-and-a-half years old, molar wear aging becomes less and less accurate. There's people out there that collect a lot of jaws. They have a lot of game that they're looking at, and they confirm their molar wear aging by using our type of aging, which is cement manuelite aging, so that they can get a better profile looking at the jaw. But ultimately, when you look at molar wear aging, you're really looking at what the animal has eaten. That, that is what you're looking at. You're not looking at how long the animal's been alive. If you've got a white-tailed deer that likes to just sit around eating rocks all day, his teeth are going to be worn way down. And then if you've got a smarter one that's hanging out in a clover field and all he's chomping on is really soft vegetation, his teeth aren't going to wear down as much. So a lot of it is based on what they're consuming as to how quickly their teeth are going to wear down. Um, so what we do is called cementum annuli aging, and it's a lot more complex. You know. Um, it's repeatable. You know, we use set protocols for every single tooth. 
Um, and what we do is we analyze the roots of the, the animal. So there's a cyclical nature um, that isn't very well defined as to why the game is um, forming these rings on their teeth. I have my own theories. A lot of people have theorized that it's due to stress in the winter, but if that were true, we wouldn't see that pattern in southern states. For example, Texas, we age a ton of game from Texas, and a lot of them have perfectly good cement and lines, uh, better than some at other areas. So we, we can pretty much rule that out. I believe it's probably hormonal, probably stress from the breeding season, things like that is what is causing that cyclical formation of the rings. But it's a, it's a really accurate way to put an age on your, your game animal. It's not 100%. It has its limitations just like anything else. But currently, with the science that we have, it is the most accurate way to age a game animal. Okay. So as far as comparing that to the, the wear aging, what, what type of percentage accuracy would you say you might get from just wear aging versus cementum aging? Sure. So um, whenever I speak on something like that, I, you know, the scientist in me comes out. So I only really want to speak to research studies that have actually been done. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, what they did when they did an accuracy comparison between cementum annuli aging and um, wear aging is they had seven different trained biologists who have basically spent their lives looking at the wear of teeth and aging them. And then they compared the results that they got to cementum annuli aging for known age specimens. So they could see who was more accurate. And with wear aging, with fully trained biologists that literally spent their lives doing it, and you're looking at white-tailed deer, the accuracy was approximately 38%. Wow. So it's incredibly low. Um, and then you compare that with uh, cementum annuli aging for the same species, uh, white-tailed deer, and you're talking 85%. Okay. So it's over double the accuracy. Yeah, that's huge. Now, yeah, it is huge. It is huge. Wow. Now, 85 is still not 100. So, you know, people people get a little upset when maybe their aging doesn't come out quite right. Um, but you just have to calm down and remember that these teeth are going through a lot when they're going through our process. Um, that all the calcium's being removed. They're going through a lot of machines and chemicals, and they end up on the microscope slide, and <clears throat> then it's an interpretation. So with any kind of pathology, animal pathology, whether you're looking for disease, it's um, basically it's a judgment call what you're making sure. when you look at it. And, um, yeah, so, so it's more accurate. It's not the most accurate. And, of course, America's favorite game is white-tailed deer, and so um, we always look for ways to improve our accuracy, particularly with white-tailed deer. Other species is far more accurate. Um, I think elk. I don't have my kit. You guys have a kit. It's, it's on there. Yeah. Elk is like ninety-eight percent or something like that, and then I think wow. elk deer is up there too. Um, so for whatever reason, white-tailed just don't age as well with this method. But it's still eighty-five percent compared to thirty-eight percent. So it's it's much better, and then. I have my own theories too as to why the um, why the accuracy may be a little bit less than 100%, and that is definitely sending in younger deer, and then um, just different nutritional things. So we're kind of working on some studies with 
nutrition and how that will come out in the teeth. I've been able to identify different things in the teeth. For example, we had a ranch that was frustrated last year that a lot of their ages didn't come out what they were expecting. I took another look at all the teeth, and um, I noticed that in the past two years, so on the two-year line, that the, the lines were stacked on top of each other, so you almost couldn't distinguish them from each other. And I said, well, I don't know, you know, what's happened or whatever, but I, the lines are stacking on top of each other, and, and that's why they're aging, so we need to make some adjustments and, you know, do some different tests and things like that. And they were so surprised because two years prior to that, um, the deer had been pushed off of their feeding ground, and they were incredibly stressed for the past two years and didn't have any uh, access to good nutrition. So it came through in the teeth. Um, likewise, recently I had a very odd tooth and didn't look like what it should look like. And I said, did this deer have any injuries or an extremely strange rack? And the customer confirmed that it was a crazy rack and something had happened to the deer. So, so those types of health things come through in the teeth. And that's one of the things that we want to do to take it to the next level is really, you know, kind of explore that and, and, and really bring it full circle for nutrition, particularly, you know, everybody's wanting to do supplements and everybody's wanting to, um, you know, get, get the best deer that they can. And so we just want to make sure that we're doing everything we can with the information that we have to help them do that. So is there like a plus or minus for as far as your um, way of going about aging them, you said it's not always perfect. So that that sure. last, what is it, seventeen percent? That's not accurate. Is sure. there so, is, is there like a comfortable plus or minus where you yeah. can be well, pretty close? So we haven't done our own accuracy studies yet. We're definitely working on um, getting some stuff together to do something like that. Um, but according to the study that was published, the, um, when symptom annuli aging was off, it was off by one year only. And okay. a very, very small percentage was off by two years. So it's still within one year when it's inaccurate, generally speaking. But one of the things that I've put into place in the most recent years, um, particularly for our customers, is um, we allow our customers to request a second look um, at their tooth for no charge. Um, it's been getting a little bit more, I would say, abused because people know they can just do that. Um but basically, we like to listen to our hunters. You know, you guys are seeing the deer on the ground. You're seeing the deer on trail camera pictures. You know how much it weighs. You see the weight, the the score. You know, you're doing all of that stuff. We're just looking at lines on a slide, and we are looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of slides. So we're, we're counting those lines, and we're getting them in there. And one of the things I do as a reader is if I don't feel confident that I could take a picture of this slide and show you that that's how old it is, I don't even report the age to you. I just move on and do another two, right? So so we, we put in a lot of safeguards to try to up our accuracy compared to other companies um, because we do want to be the most accurate place available for this type of aging. So. Um, but sometimes what happens is, like, with older deer, um, they can decalcify a lot faster, so the calcium will be removed from the tooth a little faster. And what happens when that happens is that they don't stain quite as well. 
So you can miss lines. And also older deer tend to have much thinner lines. So um, you can miss things easily. So we can repeat the test with additional staining. We can reduce the, um, reduce the time in decalcifier. There's a lot of different things we do to kind of tweak the test if someone requests a second look. Um, you know, all the teeth go through a standard protocol. You know, we just put them through um, a standard protocol. But, you know, just like anything, there's no real one-size-fits-all. So if something happens, we just, you know, redo the test, make some tweaks, and, and take another look. And I do think that that makes us more accurate. I look forward to trying to do some accuracy studies in the future to see, uh, you know, how that's going for us. Yeah, I think the the different safeguards and, and things that you're bringing to the table are impressive. I mean, like you said, you're a scientist, and when you took over the company and there was no database, you're like, what in the world is going on? Um, that's, you know, a clear sign. You you know what you're doing going in the right direction. And then to your to your uh, percentages you were wondering about, I have your kit right here. Um, the eruption wear resulted in 62% accuracy in mule deer, 43% whitetails, and 36% in elk. Where the cementum, which is your process, yields 93% in mule deer, 85% in whitetail, and 97%. No, I'm sorry, 90, yeah, 97% in elk. That's that's extremely yeah. high. Yeah, it's extremely high. And and, and it's reviewing data. You're just reviewing data, and data doesn't lie, right? Right, exactly. And there's other safeguards that we put in place as well. Um, they've gotten even better recently. So when I very first took over the company, everything was done uh, by paper. And then um, numbers were manually assigned to the teeth, right? You have to have a, a number to put with the teeth. And there was a lot of sample switching going on when I very first took over the company. And running a laboratory for the past 10 years, I basically put a halt to all production. I was like, whoa, 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 I know we have deadlines to meet, but this is unacceptable. This, everything has to stop until we get a good flow because, um, you know, just coming from an animal diagnostic background, you know, whether or not Rover has cancer is kind of a big deal. You can't be switching it with the other dog that maybe doesn't have cancer. It's very important. And we treat our deer samples just like they are a diagnostic sample. So, the most recent changes that we put into place is that we do send out the kit that you guys have there, and then the customer puts that kit into a barcoded envelope. So when they come into us, we scan them in, and they immediately go into processing. They're not being switched around. There's only one time when that sample gets switched into its final resting place, and they're done one at a time with safeguards in place so that they are never being switched. So it is very, very important to me that we keep everything straight. Um, and and that right there is going to improve accuracy. You know, I don't know how the previous studies were done. I don't know what other people have going on, but I do know that if you have any kind of sample switching going on at all, you're right away going to mess up your, your accuracy because you don't even have the deer you think you have. So to me, that's the number one thing. I know a lot of people were a little frustrated at first that they had to wait for a kit, but whereas previously you were allowed to just send your teeth however. But with that past system, not only were there, you know, human inaccuracies highly possible, but also uh, we were slow at checking in teeth. It took forever. The check-in process was longer than the scientific process. Now with this, we can fly through teeth. So, yeah, you have to maybe wait for a kid to come in the mail. 
but we can fly through teeth a lot faster and for sure keep them accurate. Everything's barcoded. The slides are barcoded. Your name, the what you have is on your slide. There's no mistaking that we have the tooth that we're supposed to have. So, you know, we're, we're very passionate about accuracy and, um, you know, just being in the field of histology, I'm really passionate about, you know, new, new and emerging techniques. So um, I go to a conference almost every year, um, the National Society for Histotechnology, where you learn new tissue techniques, new bone techniques, and, you know, we're, we want to stay on the cutting edge of that so that if something comes along that may improve our results, we're going to jump on it. Yeah, appreciate you going into that. That's a big confidence boost for all your customers and future customers for sure. And, and I like how the um, accuracy is within one year. You know, you're not going to be end up finding out a deer is, you know, seven or eight through your process and then getting it confused with a two- or three-year-old. It's that's just not going to happen, and that's that's really good to hear. Well, and you bring up a really good point, too, that I, I, I didn't cover that – that just kind of clicked in my mind. Um, when, when you're filling out, um, and Jared, I don't know if you did this when you filled out your thing, but when you're filling out your order, we actually ask for an age estimate. And I've had a lot of customers kind of, uh, I guess, buck me a little bit on that because they're like, hey, I, I just want you to read it blindly. You know, I, mean? I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to give you any yep. hint. <laughs> you know? and, and there's people that want to trick you too. They're like, huh, I'm going to say it when really I know it's only four, you know, and, and they do that. Now, I only ask for an age range, certainly not, um, you know, tell me exactly how old you think it is. And the reason we do that, we do read the teeth blindly. So we'll just start right there. They are all red and aged prior to even looking at the order. So um, the reason we do that is specifically for what you just brought up, Brian. You're, you're not going to be off by more than one year. And that is the rule of thumb. If I'm aging a deer and I go to put in the result and it's off by more than one year, the slide is rechecked, and I think, okay, yeah, this is oh. definitely right. I'm still right. This, you know, Even though it's off outside this person's age guess, I know I'm right, and I put it in. If I look at it and I go, well, maybe the slide's a little questionable. Uh, maybe the lines are a little messed up. Let's repeat the test. So that's our signal that if, 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 we're, if we're in the range – it's great. If we're out of the range and it's obvious, great. But if you think you've got a deer that's, you know, over six and a half and we've got two lines on a slide, something's wrong. Maybe some of the cementum chipped out. When you're looking at the teeth and someone's cut it and put it on a slide, it could come off of there, you know, and part of it, and you wouldn't even know. You, you just think you're looking at all of it. So it's like, ooh, what happened here? Do we need to repeat this test? Do we need to recut this? Um, is the customer just terrible at guessing ages? I mean, that's always a possibility, too. They could be just really bad at it, and it's like, well, okay, that's what I am. Yep. So we, so we do just report what we see. I, I've gone back and forth with customers, um, and I just tell them, I'm really sorry. I, I, I can only tell you what I'm seeing on the slide, and that's because I do believe in the science. I do believe it works. Um, and no matter how well you think you know your deer, um, this is what the slide is telling me, and that's what I'm going to stick to. And so um, I also think that just helps our accuracy a little bit, too. So the estimate is not a cheat. It's not so that we know where to age it. It's so that we know that if there's something really drastically wrong, um, we we got to go back to the drawing board and make sure that your sample is handled appropriately. 
Well, now now I feel bad. Now talking <laughs> to you, I feel like you know I, I bucked you a little bit there. I and the reason apparently, and and the reason I did that was because we got some interesting opinions on my specific buck after I shot it as well that did not, you know, I didn't quite agree with. Yeah. And, and I'm not an expert. I understand that. I just thought, you know what, maybe if I just send it in blind, I'll get a, the most accurate answer. But at the same time, you know, a detective or a scientist, they go off all the data and questions and answers they can before making the most accurate statement. I get that. I mean, it makes sense now after talking to you. Yeah, and, you know, I, I work with a, a really amazing pathologist, um, and he does all of our research stuff for my other company. We work for big pharmaceutical companies, and they vary in what they want to tell us. And, and you know, it's really huge to have a blind study, right? People want to make sure that, that you're not biased, right? Well, even he says, look, you can't just hand me these slides and say, look at everything, right? He said, because it's just not practical. There's certain things in nature that will just occur. Is that a finding? Is it not? I kind of have to have some sort of guideline as to what you're looking for. And that's kind of what that that is, too. You can't just go 100% blind, you know, and it's just not how it's even done for the states. You know, even, even the, the states give a, a rough estimate of what they think that they have there. Um, and it's just, just a good cross-reference, you know. Excellent. So as far as the uh, accuracy differences between the deer, whitetails, uh, mule deer, and elk, you think it's something to do with the, the teeth structure that's different or maybe diet? Um, you know, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. Um, it's a question I, I really, really want to know the answer to, um, particularly um, for my own interests. <laughs> I, yeah. I really want whitetail accuracy to get up there, too, you know, and um, – when I'm looking at the teeth, um, bears, elk, and occasionally mule deer generally have what I like to call picture-perfect lines. You know, it's the picture that you're going to put on your website. Look at how good this looks. Um, whitetail, they're kind of like the red-headed stepchild. The lines are wiggly. They're all over the place. Sometimes they merge together. Then they come apart. Um, so. I really don't know because um, no studies have been done on that. It's maybe something that we could look into in the future because they go through the same things. They go through rut. They go through winter. You know, they, they have the same issues with their antlers growing and falling off. I mean, it's all kind of the same. So it is a little bit interesting. Um, it could potentially be diet. I mean, maybe, um, you know, maybe say elk and, and moose, maybe they're getting just more fiber or something. I don't really know. Um, but again, that's all the kinds of research studies that just haven't been done. Um, I think, I think research studies in particular, if there's not something to immediately gain financially, uh, people don't typically do them <laughs> because sure. it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Right, it's a lot right. of time. Um, you know, and to do a really good research study, you need kind of some known samples. And these are wild animals, so it's a lot more difficult. You know, you don't really have a controlled environment. Um, so it's, it's very difficult to do that type of research. It's something that we really are passionate about and want to do. Um, but I don't have any theories as to why white tail aren't as good. Um, I'll think on it, though. 
because I think it's really important to everyone in the United States. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think your comment earlier about just the the wide range and and variety and diversity that of the habitat and the food that they eat versus an elk. You know, we don't have elk in all you know, all the states that are that white tails are in. We don't have muleys in all the states white tails are in. Um, they're, they're That's more, what I was thinking too. More narrowed yeah. down to a certain portion of, of our country. Um, an awesome portion, and, well, and that's you know it's probably easier to 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 keep them in that that yeah. I don't know gap or, or threshold if you will. Well, yeah, and diet's really huge. I mean, and that's one of my biggest my biggest things that I want to work on researching is the diet because um, I see a big difference in white-tailed deer when they've been supplemented, and sometimes it's a wow. good difference, and sometimes it's a bad difference. So those are the types of things that I really want to work on I want to actually start a, a you know a program where people can participate and let us know what they're feeding so that we can kind of get a database of that going and and kind of compare the slides um, we really want to get a, um, a slide scanner so that we can create kind of a, a, a database of um, slides when we're doing that type of research too so um, I think it's really important I definitely think nutrition plays a huge role I mean you can tell I can even tell when deer have had poor nutrition because they'll have holes in their teeth. You have to read around them. You know, kind of like what I was commenting about the injuries. And, you know, deer aren't exactly living a a luxurious, plush life. So um, those things come through in the teeth and can make them more difficult to read. So, I mean, I'm sure we can can dive in deeper on the whole supplemental feeding and and, and the good and the bad on that in a future episode. But a quick rundown of of how maybe – you can you the, the good and the bad on that maybe pros and cons real quick. Otherwise, I want to get into um, you know why we should be aging. Sure. So um, I I can't speak to the pros and the cons 100. percent Not enough research studies have been done on that. Okay. I have True read scientific it. answer. True scientific. Yeah, of course. You it know, depends. Yeah. around it, but um, of course, um, there is various theories. And some people have the theory that um, supplementation actually makes the lines worse and makes them harder to read, um, which could be affecting, you know, rapid antler growth, you know. Um, So if you're supplementing something where the antlers are growing really rapidly, it could be um, causing more stress on the animal, Hmm. therefore causing the lines harder to be read. Um, Sure. But um, because I haven't done my little program that I want to do and find out what people are feeding, I just really can't confirm that um, because I've seen a lot of people that say they're feeding their deer, and I see really, really, really good lines. So it, it's going to kind of come down to those research studies of, well, you're feeding them, but what? What are you feeding? Right, right. Like, what are the protein levels? What are, you know, what are their natural habitats coming into play as well? You know, do, do you have, you know, food plots planted and things like that? So I, I think it's really too early to kind of make a definitive comment right now. I would just be kind of doing what I'm doing, which is just speculating. Sure. Well, well, we'll save that for another day in the future. That'd be awesome to cover. Um, yeah. And I guess we probably should have covered the lines themselves real quick. I, in your kit here, you reference, like, the lines in a, in a tree. If you cut yeah. a tree down, the lines you see in the stump. Um is that similar to what you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, it's almost exactly like that. Um, okay. We don't Probably should have covered that up front, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, here's what we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
that that is that is essentially it. Um, instead of cutting um, them uh, cross section like you would a tree, we cut them longitudinally. So basically, as if you had cut the tree vertically in half, right. that is how those rings form. Um, so it's only different in that respect. Other than that, it's very very straightforward. Um, okay. And and they do form like in some animals they form perfectly. There's no question that the deer is that old. They are very clear lines and they're very dark when when they stain. So wow. um, it's exactly like aging a tree. And all mammals have this. Even humans have this. Um, we don't have the same cycles that um, game animals have. You know, we live a pretty cushy life. Um, so it's very difficult to age a human. Plus, we get a, a lot older. You know, and as you age older game animals, they get more difficult to age, too. Um, the lines get closer together and harder to read. I've aged one human tooth, and wow. um, it was a nightmare. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm glad I aged game and not people. <laughs> How did you get into that? Oh, um, I just I just got it from a dentist friend. That was an off-the-cuff kind of one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you had another arm of your business where you're, you know, you're helping out detectives and, and maybe, you know. That'd be cool. I'm into all that forensic stuff, but uh, but no, um, I don't. After, see, after seeing the one, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good <laughs> game animal. <laughs> so I guess um, I want to I, I want to understand why people like Brian and I or or our listeners or whomever else with a 40 acre parcel or, or whatever care about this like like what i mean why should people be going to deer age and and ordering the kit and sure and and caring i mean sure well i mean i guess kind of what i like to do is explain it how i explain it to non-hunters so you know people who don't hunt don't get it at all they always say well why the heck would you want to know that and i say okay you understand that hunters want bigger racks, right? Like, we all understand that, that the antlers are the goal, right? Um, and deer mature at a certain point. Now, previously, it's been speculated that deer mature between five and six, and that's when you're going to get your best, uh, your best rack, right? After doing this for the past five years, I have to say I disagree, um, I definitely think deer mature much older than that, and they decline much later than that as well. And that's, again, not something I've done a full research study on. That is just um, my theories after seeing as many deer as I've seen and as many slides as I've seen. Um, so if you're wanting to, you know, make sure that you're harvesting the most mature animals, the only way to confirm that is by aging your teeth. Now. The other thing, too, is you want to age your does because you want to make sure that you're kind of maintaining that population as well, right? So um, we always say every year, every year, um, because you're going to get a really good profile for what you have and also how old the deer mature in your area. You know, when are they maturing where you're at? I know it definitely varies depending on where you are. Oh, yeah. I've, talked to, I've talked to a lot of guys that are like, oh, a deer's never going to get to four years old here, ever. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of sad, really, because I think that they for sure go eight, eight to nine, and they're getting a really huge rack, and that's when they're getting pretty mature. 
So, you know, I think that it's just important for everybody as a, a good steward to be making sure that you're taking mature animals. You know, I think that's one reason, just yeah. uh, responsibility and making sure. Because after you age something and you're like, oh, yeah, I definitely think it's X, Y, Z old. And then you get the age back and you're like, ooh, I was kind of like way off on that. <laughs> you know, then you kind of start learning what your particular deer are looking like. And then, you you know, get a little bit better at it and make sure that you are kind of passing on deer and, and letting them get more mature. So I just think it's really important to be a good steward of the wildlife and make sure that you're being responsible. And I know that most hunters, if not all, that I, I deal with are very into, you know, being responsible with that. Sure, sure. I think that, I think it's a nail on the head there. Um, you know, a lot of us do all this habitat work all the time on our properties all year long. And I guess, you know, what's the measurable? How do you, how do you know that you're, you're gaining? Um, oh. Between aging or body weight uh, records, you know, uh, maybe antler point or score records, all of that. I, I think, I think the real serious guys collect all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we're going to start offering, I actually am just now drafting all of the final details on it, but what we're going to start offering is a data analysis package. So now that we have, um, you know, access to all of this data in a central database, um, we're going to basically allow people to, um, you know, subscribe. So they'll have like an annual subscription and then we will send them back a graph, well, several graphs, um, showing them the progression over the last three years. So you can see what the average four-year-old weighs. You can see what they've done, and you can kind of get a real good-looking profile for what your population is looking like. So um, I think that's going to be pretty valuable. I mean, it's one thing to collect all the data, but it's definitely another thing to compile it into something that's meaningful. Sure. And so that's one of the things that we want to do. I mean, you know, I'm – pretty scientific and I'm really good with Excel and I still had to get someone to help me with the, the graphing portion. And so I know like the average hunter out there isn't just whipping out all these graphs to see, you know, pictorially speaking, what the data means. And I think that's really important, especially if you are doing any kind of management, you want to see if it's really working, you know, and I noticed a trend too, because I've been doing it long enough that once you start managing, and you're aging all your deer, and then you implement a food program, all of a sudden I get a call from an angry hunter. All my ages are wrong. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go. So what happens is the deer start doing better. So you start putting in a food program, and your deer do better. So therefore, you think you're killing, say, a four-year-old deer, when realistically it's three, because now the deer are bigger, they're growing bigger racks, your food program is working, therefore you need to relearn aging on the hoof because your population has changed. I hope I get to that issue. I hope I <laughs> You hope you get to that issue? <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I, yes. Um, that's, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not a, a scientist. I'd love that extra help in terms of how to evaluate the information that, that's collected. Um Excel is a great, a great way, and, and however you can formalize that would be awesome. Um, yeah, um, I can send you um, a copy. We have some, cool. we have a, a copy of the graphs. Yeah. You can't, you, I guess your listeners probably can't see it, but you guys can see it. Look at that. 
this is what they look like when they come back. Okay. Very cool. Profile it shows your um, average um, average number of points by tested age, average weight by tested age, average score by tested age, and then an overall profile of, of each age bracket. So wow. uh, for people that are managing bigger parental lands, that's going to be really, really valuable information for them. So I have this kit in front of me, Heather. I want to I want to discuss what am I looking at. Let's let's hear the best way where you can like you did that graph there, kind of kind of audio depict what's going sure. on here in this in this gear kit. It's beautiful, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it looks really nice. Fancy. Um, uh, we like them. Uh, yeah. Darren uh, Sims, he's a really good designer in the industry. Ah, yes, uh, I know, yeah. I know, I know who Darren is. Yep. Yeah. We, we, we love his stuff, so. Um, yeah, so the, the kit, I'm going to grab one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one so I can sure. look at it while I'm talking. Sure, and uh, I also took a bunch of pictures, guys, of my kit. I'll put them up on Instagram and Facebook for us. Um, you'll be able to see the whole kit through my picture series here. It's pretty neat. Um, I'm very excited to get this sent in. I should have sent it in probably already, but I... Sometimes I get distracted. So yeah, it, ha- it happens. So um, basically, it's got instructions for how to remove your sample. So um, the front two lower incisors provide the best lines for aging. Um, different teeth in the mouth age differently. So it's really important that we stay consistent and try to get the same teeth, right? So we recommend pulling the front two lower incisors, and it has um, all the information and pictures on how to take out those teeth. They come out really easy when your harvest is fresh. They pretty much pop right out if you follow these instructions. If you wait and they dry out, not so much. So um, if you break off the top and um, the root is down in the jaw, we actually need that root. So um, it's always a sad day when someone is really excited and they send in the oldest buck they've ever got or whatever, and all we have is the top. And I have to break the news that it's useless. So, um, yeah, so the first little page there is just all about how to collect those front two incisors. Um, It's the most economical option, and it is really easy when your harvest is fresh. Um, If you don't feel comfortable doing that or your samples are dried out, the next one there is just collecting the front mandible, and that is the whole front row of teeth. You can just saw that off. Um, It does cost a little bit extra because we have to extract them for you, Um, but you can do that as well. And you want to saw them off about an inch and a half back from the row so that you for sure don't cut through the roots. Um, and then the next one is how to collect a side jaw. Uh, we definitely don't recommend sending the sample type. Um, I always say if it is all you have, fine, send it. But uh, molars don't age as well. Um, the lines are stacked on top of each other a lot. Um, they are darker, harder to interpret. Uh, it's It's doable but it's a lot more work and it's a lot more expensive and we just don't recommend it so but if it's all you have we will take it and we will get an age for you um but we need the whole side jaw um because we need to know exactly what tooth we are aging um so it's it's really important and then it just shows you how to package your sample we send you an order card with your barcode on it and the barcode should match the barcode on your tooth envelope that we send you to put them in there and then you're just going to sandwich that between the protection card that we send to keep the teeth safe in the mail. Um, we always recommend that if you're sending through regular mail, 
you send it non-machinable because the machines will crush the teeth and they're unreadable. Um, but other than that, you can bubble pack it and send it UPS or FedEx or whatever you want. We um, do only check-in samples once a week, and then we backdate. So that's our process for keeping efficiencies. Um, and then on the inside flap there, it's just the kit redemption instructions. So when you're purchasing a kit from Deer Age, um, you first are just going to choose the kit you want as far as turnaround time. So we do have faster turnaround times available. Our fastest is one-week turnaround time, and then we have a 45-day turnaround time. And then the average turn or the you know most economical option is the 90-day turnaround time. Um, and when you're checking out, you can redeem the kit simultaneously while you check out. And all redeeming a kit means is just you're associating an animal with that ID number. So when you're checking out, um, it'll ask for the details of the animal. You can provide those at checkout. Um, if you don't have them and you just want to have a kit on hand, you can select later. And then you need to fill, um, follow those redemption instructions on the inside flap before you send it to us. If you don't redeem the kit, you'll get a little message saying you need to redeem the kit, and it'll basically resend these same instructions to you. So, um, yeah, that's that. And then the back just has all the information about how accurate we are, like what we just went over. Sure. No, and I think um, it's pretty idiot-proof, to be honest with you. Um, not saying you don't have any challenges, but it looks it looks great. Uh, I mean, this is – I'm excited. I have not pulled my teeth out of the jaw. I'm kind of worried about that after you mentioned breaking them. So I'll be very uh, careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I could do that uh, and, and go that route. But and no, it's, 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 it's awesome. It's $5 extra if you have to send the whole front row. But um, we can actually charge that at check-in. So um, we when we just click a button, it just automatically charges it to whatever card you used. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about sending anything through the mail as far as money goes or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy, really. Um, well, we think so. Um, no. Yeah, and then all the information's in your portal. So um, with the new customer portals, um, after you've checked out and, um, you know, completed your purchase, you can just immediately immediately log into your portal, and you'll see all your samples there and your, your statistics and your order history, and then um, – when we ship your kit out, it sends a tracking number letting you know um, where your kit is, and you can see that in your portal under your order history. And then um, when we receive it and we scan it in and check it in, um, it will notify you by email, but you can also log into your portal, and it'll show the due dates in three different places. It'll show the due date um, next to your sample under your My Samples tab. It'll show the due date in your Statistics tab, and it'll show the due date under your order history. And then as soon as it's complete, it'll notify you of that. And then wherever that due date was showing, the age will then be showing. So that's kind of how we work that. So at any time, you can log in and check the, the progress. And we can also communicate back and forth about orders now, which is really nice to keep a, a history of communication. So if anything's going on with your sample, we may leave a note in your order. And then that note will appear as a message. And you can just reply to that message in your portal. And that'll all be kept track of underneath that particular order so that we can keep a, a really good communication. That way, anytime if any staff members are logging in, they can read a history of communication and, and everyone's on the same page and nothing's getting, uh, no balls are getting dropped, so to speak. Super interesting, and you made it super easy for all of us hillbillies out here. So I'm looking forward to taking advantage of that. But I got to ask, what is the oldest game animal you've ever aged? 
Oldest game animal. Um, let me think. I aged a, I aged a white-tailed doe that was 24 and a half. No way. Wow. It was not a very easy process. I will tell you that. I've aged a lot of 20-year-old bears. Okay. Um, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. So far, the oldest white-tailed buck I've aged was 16. Wow. So, which wow. is still pretty old, really. Um, For sure. But, yeah, I think deer definitely get a lot older than people really realize, and that's why I have my theories as to when deer actually mature. Um, and just based on the rack sizes that we've seen and, and kind of when I very first took over the company, the thing that really opened my eyes, I guess, to that would be um, uh, a girl that we had um, sent in. And she had sent in this deer that was, like, really, really nice. You know, and I was like, oh, wow, he's definitely mature, right? And at that point in my uh, naivete, I was like, oh, yeah, five to six is mature. So I was, I was dead sure that that deer was going to be five or six years old. And he ended up aging at 11 and a half, and he had an incredible rack. And um, I was like, huh, there's, you know, that's kind of unusual. I was under the impression that by then they would be old and hobbling and, and barely have an antler hanging off. And so, um, you know, it kind of really changed my perspective, and then I started paying a lot more attention. Um, unfortunately, I'm busy a lot of times. I don't get to see a lot of the pictures and things like that, but my husband is actually the one who runs our social media account, so he's posting everyone's stories and, um, you know, interacting with everyone, and so he sees a lot of this stuff. So through him, I kind of get to go, oh, let me see, let me see the deer, you know, I'm just going, oh, it's eight and a half, I'm just aging really fast, so when he kind of brings it around to my attention that this deer was really old, it's really exciting for me, and that's kind of how I've formulated my opinions, that I do think that they age a lot, um, or mature a lot later in life than previously believed. Well, there's just, there's so many factors, too, so many different areas of the country, different soil types, different hunting pressure. Yeah. I mean. Absolutely. I, I, there probably is, a, you know, a good average for for a deer across the country if you're really studied it. There probably is, like, a, a decent number that you could refer to. But, um, no, I, I see your points. And, uh, and I know in Michigan here uh, we're lucky if we get a four-and-a-half-year-old deer on, on trail camera. We're lucky to see a couple three-year-olds a year, um, again, depending where you're at. Yeah, yeah. Up in the UP or, or northern Michigan, you're lucky to harvest a two-and-a-half-year-old sometimes. Um yeah. It just, it just depends, but... Yeah, it's just so, definitely where you're at. Yeah, and this is all super interesting stuff, Heather. I mean, Thank awesome. You. Amazing. Well, yeah. I, I think that as more people do it, we will get a better idea of those numbers. You know, as we get more and more people sitting in their teeth, we will be able to say, okay, if you're in Kentucky, your average you know, deer with this score is going to be this old, right? So we can kind of put those pieces together a little bit more Um, because right now I would say we're working with a fairly limited data set, but we are working on building it. You know, there's a lot of data that kind of went out the window over the last – I mean, the company was established in 2004, but I only have decent data since 2018. So, you know, there's a lot more time that we need to get – more data into that database and then also just getting more people that are, you know, sure. taking it upon themselves to age their deer. I mean, uh, you know, people well, spend a lot of 
Yeah, hopefully so, we can help with that, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Listeners and, and uh, try to get you some more info. Yeah, definitely. We appreciate it, and um, we certainly love it, that's for sure. Now, wrapping up here, we always ask our guests who are either, you know, usually hunters or habitat managers what their favorite tree species is. But since you're not a hunter, this is going to be uh, – who knows what the answer is going to be. I love this question. So what's your favorite tree and why? You know, it's so funny. Um, I can say, in all honesty, no one has ever asked me that in my whole life. Yep. Awesome. Um, and so I had to think about it. But my favorite tree is a magnolia tree. Cool. And um, it's because I've always liked them since I was little. I, growing up in Spokane, I would see them. And then all of a sudden, I wouldn't see them. I mean, they were just there and gone so quick. And I'm like, what are those? What are those? So then I never was really able to tell who had magnolia trees and who didn't until the, the very short time frame that they were blooming every spring. And I just love the um, the pretty colors on the magnolia tree. And um, I just wish they would just last all summer long because they're so pretty, but the, they don't last very long, the blooms. So that, that's my favorite tree. Very cool. No, I just I just looked that up real quick. And yeah, they're, no, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Yeah, unfortunately, so spring, spring does not last all year. We don't get to see our blooms all year no, long. No, and I think magnolia trees um, – they, they bloom very, very short. I think it's only like a couple of weeks at, at, at best. So you, you all of a sudden you see them everywhere in Spokane. They're just gorgeous, and then all of a sudden they're gone. So um, beautiful but short-lived. Well, thanks for answering the question. I'm glad we could be a first to ask a weird random question like that for you. So Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Uh, wrapping up here, how do we find out, you know, how to get a hold of you, your your website? Go ahead and plug everything real quick uh, if you yes. want. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is DeerH.com, uh, which is uh, pretty easy. <laughs> and then uh, you can find us on Facebook as well. Um, I think it's forward slash DeerH is our Facebook page. And then we're also on Instagram at Wildlife Labs. Um, that's the actual official name of the company. It's Wildlife Analytical Laboratories. Uh, but it's just been nicknamed and dubbed DeerH because of the, uh, the domain name, DeerH.com. So uh, those are the best places to find us. DeerH.com has a lot of web, uh, a lot of information. So there's we've put videos on how to place orders. There's videos on how to take your teeth out if you want to learn about that. There's information on the accuracy and you can read all about that so yeah dairies.com is a great place and then following us on instagram um, we've got a lot of customer success on there and it's really fun to see people's trophy pictures and see what they're aging out at so um, that's um, i highly recommend following us on instagram yeah no that's actually where i saw you guys through our our mutual friend todd shippy um so that was that's awesome and and guys yeah Please go to DeerAge.com, check out the company there and what they're doing. And Heather, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property 
consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.